Two Balvin and Two Hundred Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making one of his regular appearances in the program. It's one of his regular appearances. He serves as lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. It's Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is the guest in this edition of the program, as he does uh, with some frequency. What Eric Longenhagen does is to discuss all prospects, is to analyze all prospects. I mean, in this particular case, what that entails is an account of his recent prospect road trip. Eric Longany, who lives in the greater Phoenix area, flew to Baltimore. That's where his trip started. Traveled to such exotic destinations as Baltimore, (laughs) Washington, D.C. for the Futures game there. Chicago for the Under Armour Showcase. Wilmington, Harvard, Connecticut, Catasauqua, Pennsylvania. At all. Not in that order, but all those towns for sure. He recounts only the most important details from that trip. Also, David Fletcher, Luis Rangifo, Matt Thice, and Taylor Ward, they're all angels hitting prospects, or I guess in the case of Fletcher, actual Major League Baseball players for the Los Angeles Angels. They have all also exhibited market gains offensively this year. Why? Why? What are the Angels doing? Why? Why? On the other end of the spectrum is the Orioles, the Baltimore Orioles, perhaps their player development system. At least uh, with regard to pitchers, not always so great. For example, one finds talented arms like Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gaussman, of course now a member of the Atlanta organization, failing to reach the heights of their dizzying potential. And then also a pitcher like Luke Rennie. Luke Rennie, a former member of the Baltimore organization who went to independent ball, developed, if nothing else, a uh, reasonable cutter, and is now striking batters out once again in affiliated baseball, in this case for the New York Mets organization. Some discussion on that front. Finally, uh, Eric Longenhagen told me that he refuses to listen to Fangraphs Audio. I said that hurts Eric Longenhagen. I say, why? Why do you refuse to do that? His response is as follows. Some of it is conscious and some of it is just an apathy that has come from I don't know where. Those hurtful words and others later on in this program. But first, it is both my privilege and also my professional obligation to announce that Fangraphs memberships exist. For a reasonable sum, readers of Fangraphs.com can support the great work that appears in those electronic pages. And for a slightly less reasonable sum, not unreasonable, but slightly less reasonable, those same readers can acquire, if they so choose, an ad-free membership, which allows them to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, not only facilitating faster loading speeds, but also liberating one from the tyranny and the distortive effects of advertising. Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership, available only at Fangraphs.com. Click, 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 click. Click, 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 That advertisement now complete. Let us move on to our conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does the feature? Lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com, Eric Longenhagen. And what does it begin? Right now. You got a good. You you have a whole. You have the timbre. I have. Well, it's like, I don't know. There's weird. It's the Bill Hader. Like Bill Hader does the best impression of that guy, right? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now you need to get closer. Let me hear you again. I'm really. I'm like way up against it right okay, now. Okay, you turn it up a little bit then. Turn up the gain a little bit. I'm the sorry. Game. Okay. I'm sorry. It puts the it puts the lotion in the basket. <laughs> That's not it. That's not it at all. Man. What sort of stuff did you learn about 
Silence of the Lambs, which I was watching, I watched in my Chicago hotel room yeah. as it poured during the day before my Under Armour game, by the way. Chicago hotel room, Under Armour. Oh, yeah, these are all important. These are all important uh, words you're saying right now. You're, you're foreshadowing accidentally. Eh. Oh, purposely. The, uh, what did I learn? I learned that Lewis Friend was an anagram. Yep. I learned that, um, I don't know, it was just a, uh, I forget what I said. Oh, no, because I had to look it up because you used a reference to whatever the symbol is for Fool's Gold, a.k.a. Pyrite. Mm-hmm. You used that in the subtitle of one of your posts for Fangraphs.com. Discussing who knows? Discussing who? I forget. I forget who it was as well. You already forget. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you already forget. It was yeah. yesterday's. Daily Prospect notes it or was. whatever, right? It was, yeah. It wasn't Starling Joseph. Oh, Ryan Velotti. Oh, yeah, Ryan Velotti. Rockies right. shortstop Ryan Velotti, mm-hmm. who I was a big fan of as an amateur player. And then he, after they drafted him last year, he was great. Like, he played really well in the Pioneer League as a high school hitter in the Pioneer League. The Pioneer League is a, a hitter-friendly location. Like, the, the stats in the Pioneer League are crazy. But Velotti, like a high school hitter that goes there and does it, you know, that's still pretty impressive. And then some of the pro scouts who saw him last year were like, hey, I think this guy might stay at short, which uh, is not what I thought about him as an amateur. And it wasn't sort of what amateur scouting industry thought of him at the time, thought he'd have to move to third. But that was encouraging. And then he showed up this spring and just physically looked different than he did uh, in high school. He was just a little thinner in like the the forearms and the lower extremities and just not as – just didn't seem as strong to me. Seemed a little much less coordinated at the plate. Like he just thought things had sort of gone backwards for him. And then, you know, this was a guy that Kylie and I had on our 45 future value guys to buy, like guys who we thought were going to be on the top 100, you know, next year. And he was on there and – Did you kick yourself? You kick yourself when you saw that? You say, ah, god damn it. Long and uh, I It's just the the way that guys go backward once in a while just for no apparent reason, mm-hmm. I think is, like, I'm just becoming more comfortable with it, I guess. So, no, I didn't really, I didn't, wouldn't say I kicked myself. I was disappointed, though. And then he got off to a bad start at Asheville, yeah. low-A Asheville, which is, again, like, most Rockies affiliates a hitter friendly environment and uh has since turned it around he's like hitting like 310 350 460 since late May but really like the reports haven't really changed so it's someone who's like really hitting now the last couple months the overall line on the year doesn't look great and you know a lot of times when a guy gets off to a slow start like that and then turns it around and is is dominant you just sort of dismiss or at least i do like you just sort of dismiss those early struggles he's adjusting to full season ball for the first time like there could be any number of explanations for that but it's just but in this case it just it seems like maybe this surge he's had for the last couple months is in fact what is not what is not real what we should be skeptical of and it's just the reports haven't really changed about what he is physically yeah it's hey you know what it sounds like to me Hmm. it sounds like on the one hand you got some you have some statistical data and then on the other hand, you have some qualitative data, and uh, you're attempting to weight them appropriately. And, you're, and, 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 and sometimes you're tempted to just throw your hands up in the air, aren't you? <laughs> right? And yeah, say, I, I don't mean, need you like to do that. Yeah. I guess a 45 future value is in some ways like <laughs> it can be used as a way of doing that. 
Yeah. Is that kind of like a? Uh, is that kind of like going? Eh, is it the? There are the a couple forty-five. <laughs> there are a couple different. Yeah, like buckets of forty-five future value players. If you look at all our forty-five future value guys, it's like high-end bench types. Wait, wait. Can I just interrupt? Sorry. Where, where is? Where about I do that? Oh, you could. You could go to the board. The board. Is that www.theboard.com? Which is due for a team-by-team list update, which should be coming in the next, after this goes up, probably in a couple days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I don't know, there's there's, there's probably a link to it somewhere. Just Google the board, Fangraphs, and you'll you'll get there, and you can just find all the future, 45 future value guys. But uh, it's like, you know, it's utility types who can play shortstop, fourth outfielders who maybe there's more uh, in the tank if they're, like, elite defensively in a corner or something like that. Like guys like Brett Gardner and um, Nori Aoki. What about Luis Rengifo? Rengifo or Rengifo? I've always said Rengifo. Yeah, that's fine. I think that uh, I'll be honest. I think that all all people and cultures are beautiful. However, my capacity to properly pronounce Spanish surnames in particular is uh, limited. So I apologize to everyone. I know I'm a fool, and I will say Luis Rengifo as well. Do you find that as you're aging that you your pronunciations are more, like you're more tentative about them like you're just not as good at deciphering what they must be right away or is this has this always been a problem for you because like my grandfather knows all sort you know who essentially taught me about sports he struggled with bobby abreu's last name <laughs> like and called him abreu and kevin garnett was kevin garnett but yeah. there were all sorts of complex names from when he was younger that he had no problem pronouncing like john havlicek was not hard for him to pronounce did your uh did your grandfather grow up in the mines no at all? he didn't grow up in the mines. he was a produce man <laughs> he worked in the produce section of an acme for like most of his life what's an acme please it's a grocery store okay it's like a grocery chain that still exists yeah is that something you can find it in also Kata makes Sakwa? it also makes cartoon weaponry <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and other cartoon uh, animated gadgetry is that, their... that has a high rate of failure. <laughs> is, it, is it their side hustle? <laughs> yeah, and then, they, they, and then they do groceries. Would you say that they mostly contract out to, uh, I don't know, canine, canine animals who are a little bit sly in nature? Pack animals, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's tough. That's tough business. You're dealing with those animals. A lot of those in, in Arizona. Yeah. Do you ever see coyote where you are? Okay, so we've had one coyote ever in our neighborhood here in Tempe. It's just within the last couple months. There's I live near a playground, which is next to an elementary school. Yeah. Uh, and so there are a lot of stray. Arizona really doesn't have a whole lot of mammal life in the like in the suburbs and in the city. The rabbits and foxes and coyotes and stuff like that mostly live like out in the desert itself away from civilization. And so we just have a lot of stray cats that eat lizards and birds. And this playground has a lot of those, including one that is friendly with me when I'm at the playground. And so when the coyote was running around this particular park, like it was sort of, it was a problem for me because I did not want it to eat my cat friend. (laughs) So I haven't seen the coyote in a while. I assume some, something happened to it or, you know, someone relocated it or something like that. But yeah, coyotes are pretty rare. I see more. You're not worried about than a coyote. Coyotes. You're not worried about your own physical health. No, they're pretty small. They're small. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I, that's just uh, that's what we call that is <laughs> pure unadulterated naivety with regard to to coyotes in terms of their size. 
Yeah, they're like the one that was running around our local playground here. I would have eyeballed it like maybe forty pounds. Oh, uh, oh that's not very. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like it's not. It was, it was it's not going to mess with a human. It sounds like it could have even just been like maybe it just was a stray dog. Like I don't know. It just looked like a coyote to me from a distance at night, and it was around for a while. But yeah, like roadrunners. I see more roadrunners than I do coyotes. Just in town, like in Tempe. Are they actually fast? Uh, yeah, they they move pretty pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like in the Papago Park area where Scottsdale, Tempe, and Phoenix sort of converge up near Arizona State's stadium, Phoenix Municipal Stadium. Yeah, sure. There's a lot of preserved land up there. I've been to like Papago their... Brewing a couple times, although I think that maybe right. it does not exist anymore. Papago Pizza, Papago sure. Brewing. I'm not sure. Papago Pizza. Papago that I don't brewing? know. Pizza, pizza in Arizona is pretty disappointing. Maybe it went somewhere else. Maybe it went somewhere else. Okay, we've addressed that. <laughs> we've addressed it. Hey, where'd you okay. go? I'm sure. Wait. Oh yeah. There's, I was. Wait, in, wait, 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 calm down. Calm down. Okay. Don't answer that question yet. We have to talk about you. Um, you've only just returned from a scouting trip that I think began with a flight to Washington D.C. where you covered the Futures game with Kyla McDaniel, and then uh, there also have been trades. Close. Um, but yes. Yeah, I think I'm pretty close. And then. Uh, there have been some trades, too. So how did it start? You flew to... I flew to Baltimore, uh, took in Orioles, Rangers, and then took the Mark train down to D.C., where I saw, you know, Kylie and David Appleman, who lives basically in D.C., and some of our other writer friends. And uh, David Lorella was there, the Futures game as well, and did the Futures game on Sunday, and then did a pro scouting trip through, like, the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast over the next several days. Wilmington... Lakewood, Hudson Valley, Hartford, and then flew to Chicago for a high school All-American game at Wrigley Field, which... Under um, Armour. Yep, Under Armour. Brought to you by Under Armour. And, you know, just saw a lot of baseball players over the course of like a week, week and a half, and then came home. Yeah. And it's 115. 115 years old. Uh, let's see. Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. First of all, with regard to D.C., you know that Kyla McDaniel... As you were there, he was uh, preparing the trade value series. Yes. One day, oh, I'm waiting on some copy from Kyla McDaniel, and he, he, I say, hey, do you have this or do you have this? And he responds to me, oh, uh, sorry, we'll, we'll get it to you later at dinner with Appleman. <laughs> oh, boy. That rubbed me the wrong way because I imagine the dinner was delicious. Was it the was food good. good? Yes. It this was, was good, wasn't it? This was a place that David told us he needed to – he had to, like, call in a favor just to get – to be able to eat there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Were there tasty, tasty morsels? Yes. Yeah. I, it's, it would be very difficult for me to recount the large number of small plates that were passed around the table. And orange wine. Do you know what orange wine is? Yeah, I know about orange wine. I okay, mean, so no. This wait, is my first think, experience with that as well. I'm familiar with the existence of orange wine. Is it was it kind of was it a biodynamic wine or a natural wine? I don't know. Frequently, those are there's, it's the skins. They have the skins. There you go. Yeah, that's what I know about it. Yeah, that the skins are on the grapes. Well, does it taste good? I yeah, I enjoyed it. I wouldn't yeah. be able to describe its subtle complexities the way what about you would because I just don't have that sort of experience with wine. But I enjoyed the way it tasted. You like tasting it, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the best parts of wine, It's tasting it. Mm-hmm. The best parts of wine are before you drink it, right? And you're like, oh, I'm about to drink some wine. And then while you're drinking it, 
you say, this is great. And then uh, right after you drink it, too, is also pretty good. So that's a three for three right there. It's worth the headache, I assume, for you? Yeah, you. well, you don't have to drink it that much every time. You can just have some. And they're all great. I think right it now, hits some example. people. I think the free radicals do more to some people than others, though. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't I, have to be – it's not a hangover headache. It's just a – there just comes a headache. Was that uh, – sounds like a like a poem from the – Yeah, I'm writing it down. The the, the, the um, what dynasty? Whatever whatever dynasty uh, – I don't know how to say their names properly in Chinese, but Tufu. Tufu and Libo, whatever, whatever dynasty that was. And then comes the headache, or there comes the headache. Yeah, your syntax was strange as if it were translated poetry. <clears throat> but that's fine. And then, wait, what did you see the night before? Did, why are you going to O's Rangers game? Uh, it was just Baltimore's a Southwest hub. So I went from oh. Phoenix to Baltimore. Yeah. It was just cheaper, and there were more direct flights at better times of day. And it, it was not inconvenient to take a train from Baltimore to D.C. That's pretty – they do that pretty readily. It was just extra – you know, I just prefer Baltimore as a city to D.C., no offense. Yeah. Uh, and I had a bunch of Italian food in Baltimore, which I think is like an underrated part of the city. You fill up your body with it? Yeah. Smart. And then did you, uh, did you use that professional game to recalibrate some of your, your sort of, uh, I just, I wanted to detectors? see, it was my, really honestly, it was my only opportunity to see Adrian Beltre before who knows. And it was, you know, before end times Machado, like last Machado Orioles game. Uh, that seemed pretty pretty apparent there were just a bunch of other reasons it wasn't it wasn't specifically to to do that okay that's fine and then uh when you were on the train did you uh, did you gaze out the window at all yes i did yeah what a pleasure right <laughs> looking out the window while on the train well you know the one thing that i noticed once we got into dc that i thought was interesting was like these shared office building areas where you can you kind of go and rent a single desk and work with other people who work remotely to sort of yeah, artificially create a communal work experience for yourself, which I thought was pretty interesting. You noticed those in D.C.? Mm-hmm. That's probably actually uh, – I wonder if D.C. would have more of those than other places. And might, There are probably a lot of independent contractors, right, doing doing work with the government? Yeah, I would guess doing. so. Yeah, so that must be uh, that, would, that must be a strategy for them. I thought that was interesting. That. There could you be – Like that co-working. Co, co like you they, could do co, that in Arizona with this – a baseball specific office like just near my house here in tempe there's a bunch of unused office space it's been unoccupied for a while it's not like a huge office building it's like a one story office building Mm -hmm. near an apartment complex and a movie theater and it was just like there's enough baseball people living in arizona that you could have like a baseball specific shared workspace and exchange ideas That'd be pretty interesting. Everyone does their own work. Like, I'd be into that. What about Cahoots? Cahoots. That's over there in Phoenix. No? That I don't know. I don't Indianola, know about that. Indianola Avenue? Cahoots. Cahoots? That's a co-working space. What is this? What is the Wayne Smith? The Wayne Smith. That's, uh, that has a co-working space, it looks like. And also Mac 6. That's also, uh, that's in Tempe. I say Tempe. You don't say Where Tempe. Where is Tempe? Tempe. Mac 6 is over on Broadway... Near Priest. Okay. So that, that's north northwest of me, probably like two two miles to my northwest. Okay, I don't know what Brick is, but the Wayne Smith, that's up there on Rural Road. You know Rural Road? Just yeah, that's Broadway. one of my main 
I'm sandwiched between rural and McClintock. Oh, are you? Yeah, those are my two. Well, just below Broadway there, it looks like. Okay, so yeah, that's about a mile due north of me then. It's a beautiful place, This the Wayne Smith. The Wayne Smith. The Wayne, Wayne, the first name Wayne. Fountains Smith. of Wayne. No. Smiths. <laughs> no, none of that. But uh, yeah, you guys. Yeah, when I Google it, it, my house pops up on the map because it's so close. This is right. This is apparently they have they offer co working. All right, maybe I'll talk to the Wayne Smith. But who would maybe you? Maybe that's how it's pronounced. Are you the Wayne Smith? <laughs> yeah, this is Wayne. Work what is more about? than a desk. Ooh, look at this. Looks beautiful, right? There's an old lady in a dress from the 1950s working on a potted mm-hmm. plant in one picture. Yeah, she's a wax figure actually, but. Okay. Still, still fine. You who would you invite though to your workspace? Uh there are probably enough other baseball writers in Arizona that there mm-hmm. some of them might be interested. Bill Mitchell of Baseball America, the photographer. Although Bill does it I think Bill Bill's workspace at home seems like he doesn't seem to suffer from the stuff that like the working at home is awesome for a number of ways. And then there are other things that you would never anticipate that are not so great about it. And Bill does not seem to suffer from those. And then also, like, there are just scouts. Like, it it might be interesting. There might be some scouts that live here that would be into, like, sharing a space with people who are thinking about baseball in a different, slightly different way as a supplement to their own thinking. How much work is a scout doing? Obviously, scouts go to games. There's a lot of travel involved. That's two ways in which their time is allocated. How much work are they doing where they're sitting down they don't need to be at a game they're not traveling but they need to fill out appropriate documentation say saw this player saw that player etc it's a lot of time a lot of time it is a thing that a lot of them struggle with especially initially is filing all the reports in a timely manner well to be honest because it's it's all the reports it's because if like if you think that our stuff is exhaustive Know that we only write up the guys who we think are prospects. Not everyone. No, no, you don't. I think not, so, not Luis Magifo. If, you, if you're a scout, if you're a pro scout and you would go in to see an affiliate for three, four, six games, at the end of that look, you, get, you have to write up everyone you see whether or not they're any good. So it's a lot. And so your turnaround time for that is essentially, you know, between three to six days so like there is a lot of report writing and then the the thing that would that doesn't make sense as far as having some sort of baseball work collective in arizona or that includes scouts is that scouts do travel a lot but the ones uniquely this this applies to arizona uh is that they just don't travel as much because there's just so much to do here like there are just teams where it's like your job is to scout in arizona like scout the azl and extend it and that's it but they got to do the paperwork. They have to do the paperwork, though. But there's just not as much travel. So, like, the idea of sharing a workspace with someone makes more sense. Yeah, so who are you going to... living in Arizona. Who's your first choice? Do you have in mind the first person whom you'd approach to do such a thing? Scout-wise or just other yeah. people? Yeah, you don't have to... Re- obviously, you don't want to... Yes, I do. These are your stories. You have, you have a... Yes. I, need, someone... I think of, like, a, immediately between, yeah, like, three to five people who I think it would be interesting to sit with and here's what you here's what you say hey hey i have work to do you have work to do we're just sitting at our homes right no exchange of ideas there we occasionally get distracted 
we recognize that you know there's some uh, yellow sorrel growing in our meadow that we're meticulously curating. So you say, well, I should probably remove that. But you don't not necessarily want that kind of distraction during the workday when you absolutely have work to do. Um, so let's maybe all meet at this co-working space, right? Uh-huh. The exchange of ideas would be furious. Fur- fast and furious. <laughs> it would be fast and furious. It would not just be a furious exchange of ideas. Yeah. The rate at which the ideas were being exchanged is what is furious, not the people who are exchanging them. But you could just tell us, just tell us one name. That's fine. <laughs> I want a scoop. I want a scoop. Nay. How many scoops you got over there? You got scoops? I don't know. Once in a while. Yeah. Like the the George Valera injury thing is like the most recent piece of news that I've reported. Is he related to Bravik? No. I don't think so. I really don't think so. George Valera, Cleveland Indians outfield prospect George Valera, who was like a one point two million dollar guy last mm-hmm. July, July twenty seventeen. Love what you're doing. Do you see? Do you know that I love what you're doing? Yeah, I do. That's why I do it, Carson. It's the only. I love it. I well, do it. hey, don't do it for me. Do it for people listening. Yeah, I'm just going to continue to tell myself I'm doing it for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what who I for. know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like Valera has been very impressive throughout the spring here in Arizona. He was one Bravik, of those guys. Bravik where... Valera, right? We're talking about Bravik Valera. No, first. George Valera. Oh. Okay. Because. It's one of those guys where it doesn't stand out, the skills in the showcase environment that is heavily relied upon for Latin American scouting. Because it's feel it's like feel to hit, feel for center field. You know, if this guy runs a 60-yard dash or you have some home first times on him, you're like, eh, probably going to be a left fielder just based on the speed and like the arm strength. But once you see him play center field, you start to buy into it. And that's just sort of something that you can only come to grips with over time and same goes for the feel for contact and the plate discipline and the ability to impact the baseball in the air reliably like these are all things that take a little bit more time to evaluate and this is this guy does all that stuff and he hasn't played since june 25th because of a broken handmate and that's just one of those things where it's like you know, I want to see George Valera here in Arizona, and then it gets to a point where he hasn't played in a month, and I just have to start asking. You know, I'm just like, okay, enough. Like, this isn't out there. No one seems to know what's going on, and I want to know, so I have to go find out. And you did it. Right. You put in the work. So this is the scooping. <laughs> this is my scooping. Scoop it up. Scoop it up. Would you say that your, uh, would you say that your evaluation of Luis Rangifo as a prospect was the, kind of the kind of the anti-scoop? Yeah, it's it's as I wrote like in today's daily prospect notes, Rangifo, who has been traded a bunch over the last uh, couple years, was originally a Seattle Mariner, went from Seattle to Tampa Bay in one of the many trades that those two organizations have concocted over the last year and a half, and then was traded from Tampa to Anaheim in a deal. Who, I forget what that trade was. But uh, those two teams have traded a couple times as well. And uh, he was essentially traded between prospect lists. So he was a member of the Rays. Mm-hmm. And I did I wrote the Angels list. And then he was traded to the Angels. Never added to their list. But, but I assume tra- he would not have placed very... Uh, no, he probably would have been an extra guy. As yeah. a, hey, this is like... This is a guy in A-ball whose ceiling is a utility guy 
So if you know his ceiling is a forty, maybe a forty-five, and he's in low A, then like his future value ranking is going to be in the thirty-five, forty area because it's like a you know th- in three years he'll be a utility guy. So you know, and then this year he's but anyway, like just to finish that thought, he was traded between prospect lists such that. He was never on a team that we whose list we were working on at that time, and so yeah. he just he literally slipped through the cracks. Yeah, no, he did not literally slip through the cracks. Okay, he figuratively well, these slipped through the cracks. Abstract, <laughs> theoretical cracks. <laughs> he literally slipped. Slipped through. He them. literally slipped through. <laughs> these hypothetical theoretical cracks. Theoretical cracks. Yeah, and, and then he proceeded to be like incredible this season. He's been no, incredible. He's been incredible. He's been. A monster at every you now you do not even have to look at the sort of re- results right like the slash stats right but uh, the underlying numbers are also very promising. Very good. Yeah, he makes so much contact, mm-hmm. and yet he's also hit for some power too mm. across all three levels. I'm not sure how much of that's going to continue, but yeah, yeah. Well, curiously, he has not exhibited any signs of hitting the ball in the air more often. Correct. Uh, and neither did David Fletcher, who. Mm. Started the season at AAA, at the AAA affiliate for the Angels, and was very good. Uh, he was not hitting the ball in the air uh, very often, but he was he recorded an ISO more than three times uh, th- this year, more than three times higher than basically his career numbers. Yeah. Without now we, a noticeable batted ball change. Yeah. And you know that uh, David Fletcher has actually been worth nearly a win through just 100 plate appearances for the Los Angeles Angels. Yeah, been pretty good as well. Another yeah. guy who we just – this is like the near-ready utility type who is, you know, a 40 or 45 on a prospect list, uh, yeah. Fletcher, who I liked when I saw at Loyola Marymount. It's just, you know – but he's he's also surpassed my expectations certainly for, for this season. And it's interesting that like I think that – you can kind of identify which teams are better at changing their players' swings than others in a way that is meaningful. You know, Toronto has done it. Donaldson, Jose Bautista. The Dodgers seem to be able to do it. Muncie, Bellinger. Turner? Did you say Turner? Justin Turner, yeah. I guess he – I mean, he's obviously uh, – to some degree, he's uh, – he. it was a uh, an act of his own accord. And then the Angels seem to be one where there is – conflict some of their guys certainly it seems like have improved in some way Rangifo and Fletcher are two that maybe they've improved without a swing change as you've said there's not a whole lot of data that would yeah, not detect flag right, that but... there's not like a change to the ground ball rate or anything like that but Matt Theis and Taylor Ward are both two clear swing changers from this season that has moved both of them up, in my opinion. Ward was a first-round pick as a catcher out of Fresno State. I, I, somewhat, uh, I believe he was regarded as a somewhat curious pick at the time. Right, right, yeah. I was not a huge fan of his in college. It was a glove-only catching prospect for me in college. And then everything about him sort of went backwards in pro ball to the point where pro scouts were just like, this guy is not a prospect. He does not even catch for me. But his peripherals had been very good and had been very good like through the upper levels. And then he moved to third base this year and there's been a swing change and he's really hitting. Matt Theis was a contact-oriented first baseman at the University of Virginia, was one of these guys who I, you know, it's first base only. He also caught at Virginia, but it was realistically first base only. And he was not good 
defensively there uh, at first base. And you just hope that because he hadn't done a whole lot of it, that that would come along. But so that was a concern and also a lack of game power was a concern. But he seems to have made a swing change now as well. And then conversely, down here in Arizona, Trent DeVoe, a Bahamian 17-year-old who looked incredible all spring, like plus speed, center field, plus arm, was hitting and hitting for gap power, still had room on the frame that, you know, there was a chance that this was going to be like a five-tool center fielder, or at least this is what five-tool center fielders look like at age 17. Uh, and he has made multiple swing changes throughout this this year, uh, some of which I detailed on a past Daily Prospect notes. And he has just gone backwards in every way. He's not hitting in the AZL. The arm strength has taken uh, a dive as well. So, you know, as we're trying to parse through these orgs that are better and worse than some of the other ones at player development, which seems to be a place where teams can make a huge difference now, Angels are still somewhere in the middle of that group because there's just... If the only thing we can use is the results they're, get, they're getting out of their players is a means of judging it, especially if it's coincided with a clear mechanical change. And as far as the Angels are concerned, like it's been a mixed bag this year. Yeah, but actually, well, allow me to submit something. I'm going to word it poorly, and it may make no sense. However, the idea is in my head, so allow me to extract it from there and present it to you. If you're going to, if you're talking about, say you have a collection of players, and you're all like, these guys are, we think that we could, in theory, we could uh, do something mechanically to unlock something that's inside of them, right? But they're all, but that we take all of them before that thing has been unlocked, right? Right. If you have a team that has a, that is, in theory, like a mixed bag, right? They're going to have some hits. Like you said, Matt Thice and Taylor Ward with the Angels. It's not entirely clear what's what's happened with Ringifo and Fletcher, but they're both they've they've both recorded unprecedented power numbers for them, despite the fact that at least at the most basic level their their ground ball numbers haven't necessarily changed a lot. You know, I mean that's is you know, when you're dealing with minor league data, that's the only sort of thing on which you can depend. But if you have some big hits, it all it also but other players are going down an equivalent amount. That actually is not that's not particularly detrimental because we entered this conversation by saying none of these players are likely to be impactful major leaguers anyway. So if some of them take a step back, now I agree on an individual level, that's a bummer, right? If there's a player who just is not exhibiting signs of improvement, for him, that's obviously not an ideal outcome. Um, mm -hmm. But if you're the organization and you say, whatever system we're using, it's going to have some big hits and it's going to have other people going back an equal amount. That's, I think that's a, better, that's a better program than everyone remaining the same. I think that's fair. Does that right? Sure. You actually, you made this comment earlier today when you were discussing the Orioles' return for Zach Britton. You said uh, you were discussing Dylan Tate, previously of UC Santa Barbara, and then after that the Rangers, and then after that the Yankees, and now part of the Orioles' system. You said um, he's the sort of player who essentially requires player development of some sort to you know, refine his fastball command and perhaps allow his secondaries to play up as a result. But he's going from the Yankees, a team that appears to be one of the best at essentially facilitating uh, improvement for players. And then you just said he's going, and now he's going to the Orioles. There was no commentary, explicit, explicit commentary, but there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of subtext. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's any secret that. The Orioles have had issues developing pitching. So without being accusatory, because certainly, you know, you can't, I can't definitively say that the Orioles are bad at this thing. 
but you know it was implied right yeah it was implied yeah and i guess well i mean they have not even necessarily uh, uh, dan zaborski colleague dan zaborski said that they're like a strange the orioles he was talking specifically about the development of kevin gaussman in baltimore that they are kind of like a strange rumpelstiltskin who spins gold into like lesser quantities of gold they take gold and they make it less gold essentially which is not the precise thing you'd want to do as a player development. But they have some arms in Gaussman and uh, Dylan Bundy, who's, I think his 2018 performance is not necessarily, I don't necessarily know. He's been fine. I guess he's been fine, right? He's been fine. But it does not it does not appear to be equal to what um, his pedigree suggested either. And um, so taking a player like, uh, like Dylan Tate, who has some pretty obvious work to do, if the goal is to become a major league starter, like if you can't do it with Gaussman and Bundy, then are you going to be able to do it with Tate? Is that right? I guess so. Do you, do you not want to say it? Do you not want to say it out loud? Who was the guy who it was? Is it, is it going to? Oh, gonna... earlier this week I wrote about Luke Rennie. Luke Rennie, who the Mets signed out of Indie Ball and is currently he's currently pitching at Low A Columbia. He struck out fourteen guys in a start earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Rennie was drafted by and pitched in the minors for the Orioles until 2015. He's been in indie ball for like the last three years. Well, I saw what he had done in the box score. I didn't know. I had no idea who this guy was. But I wanted to write about, you know, like a weird random 24-year-old striking out 14 guys who's been in indie ball for three years. Like I want to write about that guy in the Daily Prospect notes. And so I found an interview that he did with like their this in, independent league team has some sort of media presence. And so he did an interview with someone, and he was talking about what had enabled him to be successful for this independent league team. And one of the things he mentioned was, it was just embracing the fact that my fastball cuts. And given, you just mentioned Bundy, which made me think of this, like the Orioles just do not like cut fastballs. They shelved Bundy's cutter while he was a prospect, even though it was like an eight cutter. And so it just, when he when I heard him say this during this interview, Wait, it can struck I, can me. I, can I, if you were to give them the benefit of the doubt, what would you say? On that about particular the cutters, policy. yeah, that they're not the only org who believes this. Okay, uh, that cutters are bad for development. In are there orgs or that believe that that have better results in terms of player development? I don't know. Philadelphia, I, Philadelphia is one I ha- that believes it. Okay, all right, uh, or at least has in the recent past. Yeah, where was I? Oh yeah, Rennie. But anyway, it was just funny to me that like. <laughs> No pitching instruction or independent league pitching instruction was better for this particular player's development than the Orioles. Yeah. Yeah. Because this guy's better now. This guy is better now than when he was with the Orioles and he has after spending three years in indie ball. Can I can I propose a a post to you and I'll just give you the title for it? Which current Orioles pitcher will be excellent for another team? What do you think about something along those lines? Which current Orioles pitcher will someday be great for another team? Does that does that interest you at all? Do you there... think it is kind of yeah? I mean, it's an interesting thought. Do you realize how many uh, Yankees pitchers who were just not good enough to be on their forty man the Orioles have spent assets acquiring over the last year? It's like I six, don't... six. It's like six. So they're just so they've observed the fact that the Yankees appear to have some exhibited. So the strategy for be theoretically what the Orioles are supposed to do is compete against the Yankees, and their strategy mm-hmm. for Doing so is let's acquire these guys who the Yankees have deemed aren't good enough to play for them. <laughs> Not an idea, but if it, I guess if you're going to take any team's 
leftovers. That's probably the best team, right? As I said, though, Baltimore Italian food so underrated. Okay, so yeah, we are, so we haven't even we've only just gotten to D.C. You saw the futures game. We're returning to your trip. You went to Baltimore on Southwest Airlines. You looked you looked wistfully out the window as you took the train to D.C. You saw some co-working spaces. Not the Wayne Smith. That's in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. But gave you an idea about co-working maybe with some scouts. You went to the Futures game. Say a couple sentences about that. Uh, the piece I wrote about that is online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So it was, it was interesting that I had a mixed experience at the Futures game. Ooh. Um, oh, oh, that's right. Yes, yes. Oh, I remember this post. This is a post. Um, well, I would say it had some uh, cultural gravitas, right? Uh, yeah. Insofar as, as you noticed that the, the Futures game was populated by more African-American players than most major league games tend to be. And they all played well. They all played well. They all played well. And this right. is at a time when the other end of this trip, this Under Armour All-American game in Chicago also has several young African-American players who make up the elite portion of the high school class in this year's draft, and some of the college players too. So this combined with the slight uptick in African-American pers- like p- population on the on opening day rosters this year, uh, like maybe there's a sign that for whatever reason some of this is changing, which is good. And then I also wrote about in the piece why, like several other American institutions, the deck is stacked against really poor people mm-hmm. and several people of color in our country, like a, a, an inordinate amount of them uh, or percentage of them are economically disadvantaged. And so just the travel ball aspect of scouting, of amateur scouting in baseball and player development for amateurs in baseball is, it costs money, a lot of money. It was, what were the what were the numbers I stuck in there? It was, there's a, there was a perfect game tournament going on in Georgia. Oh, yes, I have it right here. $2,500 entry fee. Right. So every team has to pay perfect game $2,500 to play in this tournament. And the roster's, of kids on those teams are maybe like 20 kids deep and you know they have to pay to play on the team and uh pay to go to the tournament and you have to pay for a flight for your child to go and there are uniforms to buy and there's equipment to buy and there are hotels and there's a fee to park and how many teams were there in that tournament i think it says it in the article as well yeah, I, I've never read this article before. 328. All right, so 328 teams at tw- at $2,500 a pop is something like $800,000. And these perfect game tournaments are going on constantly throughout the year, constantly. There was one going on in Atlanta while I was on this trip and one that— Hey, can uh, we arrange one of these? <laughs> a Fangraphs travel ball tournament where they come— yeah. where sounds kids... pretty good. Yeah, sounds pretty lucrative, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah, where like kids come and play for Kylie and I, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> when I say we, I don't mean fingers. I mean you and I. I have at least $1,000 saved up. But you can see how if you're a poor kid in Mississippi, regardless of race, that these are hard to go to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You have to pay to, you know, there's probably connecting flight. Involved. Like, it's expensive. And so developing as an amateur baseball player in this country is expensive. And the fact is that for me, 
and Kylie and for Keith and the Baseball America guys and for every major league team, scouting these events is cost effective. I can go to one place. Oftentimes I can just get in my car to go there where I can see all these players at once. Right. And it's su- it's so convenient and cheap and major league owners like cheap. And so this is the sort of thing that snowballs and it's just like part of a bigger picture that I, in my opinion, has impacted the number of black kids who play baseball. Because there's a no, um, there's not necessarily a vehicle for them to be seen. And major league baseball to their credit has done, has tried to do something and you can, you can quibble about how impactful things like the RBI program and this this breakthrough series have been. Uh, I th- it's probably too early to tell. You know, some of the coaches who volunteer to help the kids at the breakthrough series, ex-big leaguers, you know, Marquise Grissom, Latroy Hawkins, Junior Spivey, guys like this, they have differing opinions about how much this, this sort of stuff moves the needle. Another problem is just that there aren't a whole lot of baseball scholarships to go around. There aren't the number of big, full full scholarships that football and basketball programs have. Football, yeah. especially. There Stupid are a lot of... football, right? Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, yeah. I just sort of stopped with football. I used to... I really love football and just... Some of it is conscious and some of it is just an apathy that has come from I don't know where. But I just don't... I just not doing football anymore. I don't know. Do you think that the Eagles Super Bowl victory has anything to do with... Do you feel like you've been emancipated? Well, remember, I'm a Panthers fan. Oh. And we can get into why if people care about that sort of thing but yeah like my whole family and friends they're all eagles fans from back home and yeah there was i felt a catharsis for them uh mm-hmm. but i've been a panthers fan since their inception in 95 because Kerry collins was like a local guy penn state wilson westlawn high school mm-hmm. they were the new team you know like, is it my understanding sort of that you, my do you support penn state regardless of no <laughs> regardless of whatever I, no, no i'm pretty sure you said you said hey penn state's the best no matter what is revealed about their practices as a as a as a, an athletic program? I thought you said that. Yes, I I love the <laughs> culture that the football program and isolation from all other forms of culture Beaver Pennsylvania has created. Like the I love I really love it. I think it's such a healthy academic culture mm-hmm. in Happy Valley. It's great. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought you said. There's football and a lot of drinking and, like, what else could you want? Actually, I know for a fact that uh, Mike Bates of the internet, of baseball internet, uh, I believe he attended Penn State in a graduate capacity, and I think he actually enjoyed himself there. I think think there there are people who who go there and it's the right fit for them. I think the overall tone and the – I'm just not – it's just not where I would send my kid. Right. I know too many people who have gone there and been chewed up and spit out by how just how easy it is to to get lost in like just the football and all and the alcohol. Yeah. Which you support wholeheartedly. Which I support. <laughs> <laughs> I will say though, the uh the ice cream that they make on campus is A plus. The alumni swirl with the espresso beans and like the the blueberry and chocolate, like those that combination I'm sure it was done for aesthetic reasons because it that's you know then the ice cream has Penn State colors in it with the blueberry and the vanilla ice cream. Mm-hmm. But it is good. Yeah. It is good. So yeah, like that was the futures game experience was, you know, you see you watch BP, you watch infield and outfield, that's just as if not more informative than 
what anyone does during the game. And just I thought culturally that it was I just I was surprised that we were the only ones to write about it f- through that lens, frankly. Yeah. I cuz it's important. Have any comments beyond that, but uh if you observed it, uh, I thought you handled it. I thought you handled it well. Thanks. I think representation is important. I have not always been an ardent supporter of that. It took me a while to come around to the idea that something other than meritocracy in all forms just driving things. Mm-hmm. I think especially in Well, that's comedy, when you were I living the high life back in Catasauqua. Yeah. Uh, you know. But, you know, just from exposure to people f- with different viewpoints, I think I just understand better now, like, what it means to see someone who reminds you of you doing something that you like just enables you to not ever second guess whether or not you should be doing that thing in ways that are, like, I think hard to describe. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it. I think it is a. It is wise to note that it is a a complex and nuanced issue, and uh, one that is also uh, can become quite charged for people. Mm-hmm. But I think that you can't necessarily. Uh, you certainly wouldn't say it's a bad thing that there were a bunch of a bunch of African American players who were playing well in the futures game. I think it's a pretty easy sentiment to get behind. Did you watch any of that high school game on TV? Well, all right, so let me run through the high schoolers for next year's draft that I saw. We're talking about Under Armour? Yeah, the Under Armour brought to you by this Under This is Armour. Inter- <laughs> Under Armour, the Under Armour classic brought to you by Under Armour. Under In, Armour. at Wrigley Field, Chicago's Wrigley Field. Mm-hmm. Okay. Say three names. Are you going to say three names? Okay, sure. Okay. Daniel Espino. Daniel Espino. Do you want me to tell you about him, or do you want me to just give you two other names? Tell me about Daniel Espino briefly. High school righty from Georgia. Was ninety five ninety nine in his single inning of work. The hardest thrower in the history of this event. Delivery, gonna be divisive. Yeah. So that's that. Okay. Oh, that was great. That was a great capsule summary. Great review. Bobby Witt Jr. Bobby Witt Jr. No relation to Bobby Witt. <laughs> Bobby Witt's son. Okay. Oh, okay. But you said that Bravik Valero was not related to George Valera. Right. And now you're now you're turning the tables on me and saying Bobby Witt Jr. is Bobby Witt's son? Are there any other Sestulis who you know exist but are not related to you? Because mm. there are not... I just assume every other Long and Higgins... There are Long and Higgins I don't know, but I know they're, they're related to me. Yeah, I'm probably in that same... I'm in that same category. There are not, there are not too many Sestulis in the world. And the ones who exist either are all, like, from... Because Sestulis first came to... Bristol, Connecticut. Uh, that was their first. That was their first great decision that they made upon coming to the United States. And then um, most of them have been through there at some point. And then, but then, and then, and then in Italy, they're all like basically in the same place. Okay. That's basically all. Anyway. So Bobby Wood Jr. Shortstop, yes. Power, yes. He homered during the game. Yeah, you've already sold me. Hit. Eh. Oh. I don't know. Hmm. Before he homered, Bobby, Bobby, Bobby Witt, Bobby. Bobby, Bobby Wood, Bobby Wood, Brandon Wood, Brandon Wood. Mm. Uh, before he homered, he missed several other hittable pitches. Like ultimately, he whacked out a hanging curveball. Mm-hmm. It took one hop off the bleachers and left, and then went into Wadeland Avenue. Pretty impressive. But there were some like uh, ninety mile an hour cookies before that that were fouled off. 
So it's just one of those things where, like, you know, important to notice. You have Brandon Wood on your Angels list this year. Just looking over it again. You thought he was better than Luis Rangifo? <laughs> Come on. Brandon Wood is a coach now. Yeah, or he was. He I think something – he was like the Padres' AZL manager a couple years ago. I'm not sure what happened. I think some personal stuff enough. needed yeah. attending to. Yeah, as it sometimes does. That's what uh, – And baseball uh, is not really great at letting you do that. No. And then the third name – who's another name? Oh, Matthew Thompson. This is like, you know, this is a right-handed pitching prospect from Texas who is just right down my – like, this is my kind of pitching prospect. He's 6'3", 170. He's got a good frame. There's plenty of room on it. The delivery is beautiful. Super fluid and athletic. Throws strikes, 92-95. There's some feel for spin. I don't really care about anything else. I love all that stuff. He's my number one high school pitching prospect on, like, just so far. Like, this summer. Where we're at right now, this is my number one high school pitching prospect. He just checks all the boxes for me. No, he doesn't throw as hard as the Espino kid. Breaking ball's not as good as Jack Leiter. Whatever. Is this Jack is Leiter body. related to Al Leiter? Mark yes. Leiter? Yep. Where are they? Are Al Leiter and Mark Leiter related? Yes. They're Bobby Witt's son. <laughs> They're Bobby Witt Jr.'s son. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This, this family tree is disturbing. Mark Leiter and Al Leiter. How are they related? Mark, the Phillies pitcher? Yeah, there wasn't Al Leiter's nephew. Jack is Al Leiter's son. Wait, eh, there is a current Mark Leiter in the Philly system. Right. He's Al Leiter's nephew. But there was a Mark Leiter who was a pitcher. There was a Mark Leiter major leaguer. Right. That's Al Leiter's brother. That's Al Leiter's brother. Yes. Huh. So the current Phillies Mark Leiter is like Mark Leiter Jr., I guess, right? Yeah. yeah. And he's Jack Leiter's father. Alighter is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wait, we even missed, the, but I mean, we're already in Chicago. We missed Wilmington, Delaware. We missed Catasauqua, Pennsylvania. We missed Hartford, Hartford, Connecticut. You saw a doubleheader in Hartford, didn't you? Uh, Yeah. Were they playing the Portland Sea Dogs, perchance? Reading. Oh, right. Okay, so Portland came in the next day, I think. Redding yeah, is because I just uh, missed Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette and those guys in Redding. They're in like Redding right now. Okay, Kevin Biggio. Kevin Biggio, yep, another guy I would have liked to have seen. Mm-hmm. I had the the strangest flight home from Chicago. If you'd like to hear about that, that involved one of those one of these in vogue on plane romances that that start and and can start on a, a plane. No, I don't. <laughs> It wasn't mine. No, I don't want to know about it. I don't okay. like that. I cut. That's too. Mm-mm, not for me. It was People weird. Should not it be falling in love on planes. Well, that that happened in across the aisle from me. Ugh. A girl who was clearly breaking up with someone as the flight took off ended the plane ride in a relationship with the man in the middle seat next to him or next to her. Did you feel like he was? I mean, was? Do you feel like it was a decent match? I guess I could not stand him. <laughs> <laughs> did he seem he like too much energy he, too much he was talking for much of the three-hour flight home did he at least seem like he was like not dangerous as a person uh yeah okay yeah that's fine that's fine as he had a top golf polo on oh wait a top golf polo he had a that's top a, golf a brand polo shirt. top golf 
Top Golf is a chain of golfing facilities in the United States that combines. It's like a golf restaurant where it's here in Scottsdale. Golf they have a, restaurant. Yeah, they have like a split, <laughs> so you can like get food that and drink beer while you are on a driving range, and it's like a three-level driving range that has like targets and there are games you can play like there's software on computer screens that you can play like driving range related games while you drink and eat. I'm looking at a douchebag right in front of me, a literal <laughs> douchebag. And yet <laughs> and yet this would this would pale in comparison to Tell me you're on the Top Golf website right now and you can see the level of brodom that is that occurs. I don't, it not even make sense to me what you're saying. It is a golf restaurant. Yes, you can eat. There will be there. You can finish your drive, walk back to a table, and put some fries in your mouth, and then mm-hmm. walk right back to a tee and hit another. And they're like glowing targets. It's like rock and bowl, but with golf, with driving range golf. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there once. They make you sign up for a membership. In order to do it, so like I have in my wallet right here, I have like a Top Golf membership card. You do? Whoa! I didn't realize that it's was like talking. a library card. It's like the anti-library card. <laughs> this proves that I don't go to the library. That's that's unfair. That's unfair. What I said. That's unfair. It's unfair. It's not fair. So this guy who I assume works for Top Golf because he just has that like I train people for a living level of energy. Mm-hmm. And he's not this, dangerous. You pretty sure this he's not three dangerous. hour plane ride with. Some sort of relationship, <laughs> and you and you and you're telling me he's not dangerous. I, he did not seem dangerous. Okay, all right. Just annoying. <laughs> but that's fine. That's not, but it was I, one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whew. There was on plane canoodling. Mm-mm. Physical. No. Touching. No. <laughs> no. No. You stop right now. You stop. We do not talk about that on this program. Maybe, you know what? You go over there, you, just, you talk with Ben Lindbergh and Jeff Sullivan on their pornographic <laughs> radio program. That has not happened here. We do not talk uh, about physical intimacy. We don't even talk about <laughs> feeling affection for another human. Not here. I, that's the hardest I ever laughed at Kirby Enthusiasm is when Richard Lewis says to Larry David, like, I have intimacy issues. And <laughs> Larry gets so angry. <laughs> And the idea that he's using that as like an excuse for his behavior, it made me laugh so hard. Laughing's great. Feels great. Right? It feels good. Laughing typically is an opportunity. It's a moment when we have um, we have a minor epiphany about how the world is the world is an illusion. It's all meaningless. All right, stoner. No, no, no. This is not stoner stuff. This is uh, this is that shot. I don't and, know. Um, <laughs> no, it is. Yeah, you because know, you think of just on the we're just on a tiny little dumb planet. Sure. In the yeah. middle of the universe. What, what was the thing? thing? What was but it? Don't you think some of that? I what think a lot of people guy? arrive at that conclusion through. Maybe you do. Who was the space guy? Who was the, who was Doctor Space? Who was like, hi, Doctor Space. Hi, I'm here to tell you about space. Yeah, seventies, eighties, huh? Stephen Hawking. No, 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 no. Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan. Billions and billions of stars. <laughs> Plus, it puts the lotion in the bear skin. <laughs> Carl Sagan played Buffalo Bill. That's right. It's true. He did. He did. Great makeup job. 
They put to the lotion. There are bastards. millions and millions of stars. Billions and billions. Carl Sagan was a good writer. Yeah, well, Twitch, he can... Twitch just streams like no. on a loop uh, the original. You're being what you're saying right now has already been deleted. I promise. <laughs> I but promise. Dylan's Dylan, get louder. Dylan. <laughs> we do not talk about physical intimacy. Twitch Emotion streaming nice or, or uh, whatever uh, online communities. He died in December of '96. Carl Sagan. Silence of the Lambs came out. It <laughs> came out in 1991. What do you think about like <laughs> a Clumps style remake or a Clumps style <laughs> a Clumps style version of Silence of the Lambs? Where Carl Sagan plays like every character. He puts the lotion in the basket. Clarice. Clarice. Alright. Do you dude. do you accept that as a uh Would you yeah, watch it? I think well, I think Silence of the Lambs doesn't is not in need of a remake. I think it still holds up. Hmm. I think the subject matter you know, if anything doesn't hold up, it's kinda of like Anthony Hopkins' performance, really. But like the subject matter, especially the gender dynamics. Uh, oh, yeah. Still very relevant today. Yeah, and uh, just a great, an awesome movie. Would you like to, to watch see, on HBO? It, would you like to room. see a Bed Bath and Beyond? Or no, a, what is it? Bed? Not not Bed Bath and Beyond. What's what's Bed Bath Bath Bedded Bath Bath and Bath and Body bath, Works? Ba- a Bath and Body Works product integration was. <laughs> With Silence of the Lambs? With Silence of the Lambs. Mig's hand lotion? It puts the lotion in the basket. <laughs> oh, what sort of lotion is that? Well, actually, it's, it's Skin got... Skin hydrating comfort, lotion? Comfort beads in it, yeah. Yeah. It puts the lotion in the basket. Oh, it's pink lily bamboo body green. I'm rubbing the lotion on my skin. It's cherry blossom body lotion. <laughs> Where are my supplies? The woman at the bottom of the well said, "Oh, this is nice." My mom's a senator. I'll, she'll be the Joe Dirt. The Joe Dirt spoof on that character is funny to me. Oh, I'm not familiar with, Joe, with that. It is t- that a, puts uh... the Joe Dirt in the hole. You've never seen Joe Dirt? No, no. Joe oh, Dirt okay. to me. Definitely not a stoner. I mean, because because there were, for all intents and purposes, there are infinite number of humans. There's also, uh, you know, there's there's a taste for everyone, but the, the Joe Dirt. Is uh, it's a non it's a non film it's a non non thing. It employed a bunch of people for a while in the making of sure, it. Sure, yeah, the sequel, it's not I guess. right. Yeah, yeah, no, it yeah. Does not. It's been a while since I've been indignant about something someone hasn't seen because there's like I'm in the middle of my I've not seen Gone with the Wind until I watched it through the second intermission the other day. You know, so and is that was that good? I've never seen it. Uh. Good? Yes, it is good once you realize that the tone of it is – I don't know. It's interesting because it's like you're rooting for people who are fighting the uh, Civil War from the like, perspective of the South. It's sort of interesting. Yeah. But yeah. That would be a harder – that would be a harder so. – I've also never seen a Clark Gable film before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm you just know, on an old movie kick because there was a bunch of Hitchcock stuff I've watched recently too. Like I, had a, uh, I, I had a I had a memory the other day. Jimmy Stewart. Gr- growing up, I used to have a Confederate flag on my car seat. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, yeah. I used to have a Confederate flag sticker, a kind of metallic metallic sticker on my car seat. 
Was it like an Iron Maiden thing, maybe? No, it was Your like parents, a Confederate Iron thing. Maiden no, things? I have family in Alabama, and I guess uh, we had taken the car down there, and someone put a Confederate sticker on my car seat when I was little, and it just stayed until I was not in a car seat anymore. I guess Iron Maiden's what the Union Jack, too, not even the Confederate flag. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's I'm weird. Going. I've never... Uh, my family's not Southern, so... Yeah. Iron Maiden's uh, some trouble. Do you want to talk about any other baseball stuff? Before I go, you want to dwell on Josh James a little bit? Josh James is in the most recent Daily Prospect notes, so people can look at that there. Check that out. Josh James, Astros righty, 25-year-old who's struck out like 140 guys in 80 innings. 80 some innings, yeah, like crazy strikeout numbers at double and triple A as a 25-year-old junior college arm. Velo's gone way, way up each of the last three years. Like it just keeps going up. Would you say the changeup's a little firm? Still probably just reliever. Yeah, it's just like the secondary stuff is not. This is where the consistency issues lie, such that he's probably just a reliever. But hey, you know, uh, maybe a maybe a multi-inning Brad Peacock type of type of guy. So not just a reliever. What pitcher do you think automatically becomes better? Who experiences the greatest bump in value from you know the regular season to the playoffs? Is that a fair question to ask you? What type of player does? Yeah, type or specific player? Because I was thinking about James like. Like you, you know that James might be suitable for multi inning role and not basically what Brandon Morrow was for the Dodgers last playoffs and that sort of thing. Yeah, I guess that's one thing. I mean, or you know what Andrew Miller has been at the. Yeah, that's another. I think. Yeah, I guess you could say it's that type of player. The built-in travel rest in the playoffs is huge for relievers. Oh, that's a good point. It's a different game. It's really what allows that sort of thing to happen. I guess you could say that like the lights out number one. Starter, the dominant Verlander, dominant Scherzer in a single game. You know, yeah. part of the reason pitcher impact is limited during the regular season is because they, because of the percentage of games they pitch in is just not, you know. But now that's upped by five percent, and you know, just the impact of winning a single game is so much more significant in this scenario. I think there are arguments to be made, but I could see. I think there is one for the thing you're talking about, where like it is this type of guy who in the postseason is significantly more valuable than he is during the regular season yeah yeah no i was uh, interested in that a little bit i mean the, if there's there's like a whole different so i mean they, they, well the yankees acquisition of zach Britton was kind of interesting right he's obviously he has not been right uh entirely himself this year however he's still been fine and uh it seems uh superficially to be a bit of a strange move for a team that has been connected more to starters. But at the same time, if they know they're going to be in the playoffs in some capacity, then uh, Britain becomes immediately more valuable. So, Yeah, I agree. The, the, random, the random thing about this deal that struck me as a mover for the Yankees in the playoffs is we know that that stadium, how that stadium plays offensively. And I think it makes four, five-run leads a little... A little, you're a little less comfortable with them there than you are in other places. And it must just be nice to have a guy who you know is going to keep the ball down and in the ballpark mm-hmm. on your staff. Like, it's funny to think of Zach Britton as like a four run playoff mop up guy, but I feel much better about having him on the mound than almost any other pitcher on that staff in the bullpen anyway, with like a four or five run lead. I know that sounds weird. But, like, could you see Dellen Batances, things, like, com- coming completely unhinged for a guy like Dellen Batances in a four-run game? And, you know, he walks two guys and then someone homers because it's Yankee Stadium and now it's a one-run game? Like, that sounds 
plausible, but with Britain on the mound in a four-run game, it's like, okay, you're going to get guys are just going to hit ground balls, <laughs> you know, like the right. there's less it's less volatile. Yeah. So that's sort of an interesting thing. Juan Soto just homered again off of Freddie Peralta. How do you cool. feel uh, about P- Freddie Peralta? Have you seen his numbers? Yeah, well, I, well, I certainly, I certainly saw his numbers in the minor leagues, um, but I also saw him pitch, and I guess uh, I, I became less enthusiastic about him when he's on his command. Well, I don't know, and I thought, well, he's kind of small, and it, it, I thought it was just a fat. I thought it was mostly just a fastball, which I thought was, and he didn't throw super hard. So I thought maybe that's not going to work in the majors, but I guess it has. I think not today, uh, but uh, in general. I think this is I, – I really like Freddie Peralta. I think he's one of those guys who's sort of being overrated because of how unique and interesting he is. Mm-hmm. But like just the fastball – I agree with you that the repertoire in general is somewhat limited, that the fastball is so much better than everything else. And then I just think that from a command perspective, like I don't see how this guy can start. I just don't see how this guy can right. start. And if he does, it's going to be an inefficient – like there are going to be some efficiency issues. So like I still really like him as a a premium reliever. Like we have a forty five on him as someone who we think's going to end up in the bullpen, which is pretty rare. Like so for comparison's sake, Zach like peak Zach Britton would be a fifty, He's like a two win guy. Right. Uh, so we have forty five on Freddie Peralta as a reliever. I think it's pretty strong. But like when our updated fifty future value and above list went up, which was one hundred thirty one guys, some of the feedback from people in baseball were just like shocked you know freddie peralta's not on there like you guys have sort of been championing championing him mm-hmm. comparatively and now he's like not on this after he's missing bats like this in the big leagues and i know he's been on like other top 50s and stuff just like it's I don't just know like get off long and higgins back if you think of relievers there then get off long and higgins back right so we'll see how this one works out but this is one where we're we like this guy but like not like this <laughs> get off long and higgins back right is that kind of where you're at I guess so. <laughs> All right. Hey, you've uh, more than fulfilled your obligation to uh, Fangraphs Audio. It's okay, also necessary buddy. for me to uh, perform some editing duties before my child wakes up. All right. So, two reasons to leave. Thank you so much, Eric Longenagan. You're welcome, Carson. I'll talk to you again soon. That has been Eric Longenagan, lead prospecting analyst for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.